The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about ISIS. ISIS copying barbarism of medieval killer Bluebeard. I know that's a lot. That's a big, <laughs> a lot to swallow. Um, <laughs> ISIS, we can break it down. We, all, we know too well what that means. Um, copying the barbarism of medieval killer Bluebeard. Now, Bluebeard's real name um, is Gilles de Ray, and um, my guest will tell you all about him. But the, the, he was... Um, he was one thing I can say to begin is that he was barbaric, and um, my guest Valerie Ogden, in her new book called Bluebeard: Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath, um, has made the comparison between how how barbaric Bluebeard was um, in medieval times and how barbaric ISIS is today. And that's all I'll say, and I'll let Valerie uh, take it from there. Um, what, what is so, Valerie, why don't you just give us um, a brief uh, introduction to this, and then I really, what I think is so fascinating is how you, you became fascinated with this uh, relatively esoteric <laughs> subject, um, uh, you know, in a very uh, strange and personal way. So first, for people who are saying, huh, Gilles de Ray, Bluebeard, what? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you so much. What an honor to be on your couch or your show. You're Both. welcome. Thank you so much. Yes, uh, the man's name was Gilles de Ray, and he actually was the paragon of the high medieval prince. He was almost Renaissance in his talents and accomplishments. He fought with Joan of Arc and was honored by the king for his service to the crown. He was a marshal of France, which would be equivalent today to a five-star general before he was 25. Hmm. He was a mighty baron with vast estates. He was a renowned intellectual, and he stayed some of the most incredible theatrical productions ever. But then, after he left the military, he became the notorious serial killer nicknamed Bluebeard. And he performed bizarre sexual rituals and brutal mutilations and murders on hundreds of children, and mainly boys. And beheadings. Yes, yes. Um, so, well, he actually, was that, that we can get into that yes, later. Yes, we'll get into that later. Yes. Yeah. I mean, but, this story, I, I started preparing for today's show and started re- reading about him. You know, it's interesting. I actually, um, I wrote a book called Bad Boys, <laughs> Why We Love Them, How to Live With Them, and When to Leave Them. And right. um, I talk about 12 different ta- bad boys, and I, I model them. You know, I use fairy tales as uh, models. Mm. And so mm. one of the types... 
um, is I use Bluebeard, the fairy tale of Bluebeard, which apparently was based upon this, you know, Gilles de Ray. But yes. in in um, in my book and in in the fairy tale, um, it's more about it's more about um, Bluebeard killing women. Um, as opposed to children, but we'll get into all that. Let's start with <laughs> how But you know you... why, just, just to interrupt sure, you there, sure. yes, because I did research on that, and I think what uh, Charles Perrault, he was the great fairy tale writer who did right. Bluebeard, he did Cinderella, and a lot of these stories were quite brutal before they were sort of toned down. Yes. I think he had his Bluebeard killing nine wives because they were nosy women. They weren't. Yes. Young, innocent children, which is, you know, far worse and, and really spine-tingling. And I think that's why he switched, you know, from oh, children that's, to that's wives. That's fascinating. So, okay, yeah. so since he knew his fairy tales were going to be for children, he didn't, <laughs> he, he thought that the real story was a little too gruesome. I think, it, yeah, well, for anyone almost. Mm. Well, <laughs> um, yes, actually, he, his story fit my man of mystery type of mm. bad boy mm. because mm. these women, as you mentioned, were all too curious looking into all the rooms in his castle and so on, and so this was meant to be a man who has secrets, hidden secrets, yes. Um, yes. you know, that, you, that women find out too late. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, perfect, yes. Okay, so, and, and just to set the date, um, Gilles de Ray Bluebeard was born um, 1405, and he was killed in, uh, in 1440. He only lived to be 35, and he did quite a lot in his 35 years. Um, so, how, what made you become interested in this man? I first became, I, I had never heard of him. And I'm at my nephew's wedding in Belgium, and this lovely man standing next to me um, turns to me while we're waiting for the bride and said, so how do you like your nephew marrying into the family of a murderer? <laughs> and this is in French, and I looked at him, and I thought my French had gotten rusty, and I just kept on looking at him, and then the bride came down, you know, we couldn't do anything, and so I made a beeline for him at the reception. And he said, oh, I know nothing else. I just know that Charles Perrault based his fairy tale on this man. But go talk to Mama. Mama knows everything. So I went very politely to Mama, and she just said, oh, oh, I know nothing. He was just, he was a, he was a baron in the 15th century uh, in France. And I kept on thinking, you know, we're talking six centuries. What is wrong that they don't want to talk about mm. this man? So when I got home, I started to do research. And it's fascinating because the the English versions are really very, very mm, prejudicial in the sense that he just, he was a horrible man. But why is someone a horrible man? You know this more than I do. Yeah. Um, you know, there are reasons for it. And, and I just, I was fascinated. So I started to do research and I tried to do in-depth research and I had the opportunity to go back to France. And so I went to the Bibliothèque de Nantes, and most of his murders took place in Brittany, and Nantes is the capital right now of Brittany, and many of his murders took place there, and was able to get into the old archives, and just history peeled away, and you um, see you know, the many-faceted individual that, that uh, Bluebeard was. So the main question is, why did he become a serial killer? And that's what I tried to, you know, really try to figure out. Yes, because as you, uh, well, wait, before we, um, did you ever tell your nephew about oh, this? Oh, yes. 
And I mean, yeah. had he known before you, before he married her, <laughs> had he yeah. known this story? No, no, <laughs> no. And um, the very interesting thing was she came and stayed. She, she, she teaches now in uh, England. She teaches in Cambridge. And she came for a conference here in the United States and stayed with us. And so I asked her, this is when my book was coming out, I said, would you write me, you know, some kind of little comment? Mm. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, no, no. I know nothing about him. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. And so, I mean, they still are in denial. They still are in denial. So when you told your nephew, what happened? He just, I think he blew it off. I think he didn't want to. I, I have no idea whether he takes it seriously now. I mean, they all... Have they read you know, your book? That, that he, they don't want to read my book. Hmm. <laughs> Which is another uh, sort of story, isn't it? Um, I, I think they just all are in denial. And my Wait, point is, wouldn't you want to know? Well, you here's want the to thing. I, I mean, I think the thing that would have been upsetting, in it, you know, I could see maybe trying to push away... Okay, it was so many centuries ago, and you know, and my wife never knew him, and her bride to be never knew him. And um, but I think that the more disturbing would be, and talk about man of mystery, woman of mystery. More disturbing yeah. would be that she never mentioned it to him. I you agree. know, and given him the opportunity, I mean, he still probably would have married her. But it just—it's just like this, you know, woman of mystery keeping secrets. Yeah. No. 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 That's a, that's an excellent point. Yes. Um, you know, and I just, I, I sort of backed away from them all because no one really wanted to have anything. I sort of were like a leper to them now. <laughs> and uh, so I have to be somewhat careful. I do, one of the things that was fascinating when this wife, her name is Berenice, was here, uh, I said, you know, Gilles was very intellectual too. And she said, oh, I know. <laughs> so in other words, they know the whole story. <laughs> He knows about him being intellectual, just not yeah. about the um, the killings yeah, and about the, the gruesomeness yeah. of them. Well, yes. okay, so now, so now that now that I put you on my couch, now you can tell us the story of Bluebeard and how you uncovered it, and and some of the real. Even to this day, there are, are there is controversy over you know whether he was guilty or not. Although most people, of course, believe that he was. But I was just reading something where um, yes. You know, some well. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves chronologically. Tell us about Bluebeard from his childhood. Well, the interesting thing, and you'll love this because I've been listening to some of your other couch talks. Uh-huh. Um, very interesting. You know, he was very close to his father. His father had him read Greek and Latin, and had wonderful tutors for him. By the time he was seven. Hmm. His father was gored to death by a wild boar when he was hmm. eleven. And um, he saw his, you know, excruciating death, and his mother died the same year. So he was left, you know, besides with a one-year-old brother, an orphan, and he was brought up by his grandfather, who was, you know, he certainly was a baron and dressed well, but he was no better than a thug. Uh, He was almost like a purse snatcher, who really cared nothing about him except how can we get more land. So he was left on his own. And so there are many traits that he began, began to mm, display, which I think lonely, lonely children do. And he was so bright, I think he concocted the worst of things. 
dressed to try to get his grandfather's attention, which he never could get. Like, my grandfather did like make what, sure. for example? Well, beating his servants. Wait, as a little boy? Yeah, yeah. Huh. Um, um, yeah. The one thing he never did, which is interesting with serial killers, he loved his animals. Usually, isn't it that most serial killers start torturing animals? Yes. He didn't. He started to torture his his servants, what he also did, uh, Grandpa, to make him happy, gave him sort of a, a court of his own. And um, A, a what, court of his? Yes, a little, you know, a mock court of his own to have Cavi, all his little squires and everyone around him. Huh. Uh-huh. And he would tell them what to do. And when they wouldn't do it, he would take them behind the haystack. And not only would he beat them up, but he'd solemnize them. Really? Even as, as young as how, how old? He was probably at this point in his early teens, maybe 12, 13, yeah. 14. Wow. Well, okay. Then I guess, I guess the later stories are true, because if he starts like this, then it certainly uh, seems more likely that it's true. But seeing his father gored to death was the beginning of it all, I think. Well, I we need think to take. So. We need to take a break. My guest is Valerie Ogden. Her book is called Bluebeard, Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath. We have only begun to skim the surface. Stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. Couch, I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about ISIS, copying barbarism of medieval killer Bluebeard. And we have just begun, or my guest has just begun, to tell the tale. Valerie Ogden, her tale... (laughs) is called um, Bluebeard, Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath, and it's in a new book um, that just came out. And um, we were unraveling, I mean, Bluebeard, <laughs> Bluebeard is a, an incredibly fascinating character. So we were talking about um, his father being gored to death by a boar, which, and, with, and he being about 10 or 11 at the time, you know, very impressionable. And... Um, Seeing that, was there anything ever like? Was he? Was he? 
I mean, I guess he... Was there more... Do you know any more to that story? Was there any way in which he felt like um, guilty? I mean, it's likely in any case that he felt guilty that he couldn't protect his father, but was there something more to it? Like, you know, was it because of him that his father was in harm's way? Oh, no, no. Actually, it was a hunting... The, and he wasn't on the hunting trip. His oh, he didn't father see was it. out he hunting. Just, he just but he was it. in the castle as the father died, and apparently it was a long, excruciating death. Uh-huh. They didn't have painkillers in those days. Well, that's you know. interesting, because huh? as you're going to tell us later, that's what he did with, his, with the children, that he yes. gave them long, excruciating deaths. Yes. Yes, so there could be, good for you, there could be certainly a correlation there. Yes, we were talking during the break, um, I was talking with Valerie and asking about his mother, and it's interesting, there there are some people who, some, when she was doing research, there are some reports that the mother actually just walked out of the castle, so, so, um... Um, poor Bluebeard, <laughs> poor, Blue, yeah. poor Bluebeard, felt abandoned both by the death of his father and um, and probably thinking that in any case that his mother walked out on him, abandoned him. So these are not healthy ways to start out when you're ten and eleven, as we saw, as he no. was an early teen. You were talking about his sodomizing and and um, beating um, his servants. So okay, and take, his little cavaliers too, the, uh-huh. the little ones who were his squires. Uh huh. So. Yes, it seemed to be a pattern that he had. But the one redeeming quality that he had, even while he was doing this, he was intellectual even, even when he was doing I mean, he really cared about learning. And he, he would pick up all sorts of subjects. You know, he was one of, apparently he spoke Latin just extraordinarily. And um, he wrote in Latin. He also, with the books that he would read, the manuscripts, he would, he would even do some of the, the paintings himself because he loved to do things like that. He always carried books with him even when he was in battle with Joan of Arc. Hmm. Wow. And so now, there, there, there are stories sad. about his grandfather trying to marry him off from the time he was, um, what, 12, was it? or 14, um, yes. 14, to yes. a girl who was four. Exactly. Well, it would have made both, he would have been the richest baron in all of France if that had happened. But at least they had laws back then that you could not marry someone under 14. So that did not work out. And the girl went into a convent soon after that. And then the grandfather looked for another rich woman and he came up with somebody. And no one knows why that. She was actually the niece of the, um, let me see a very wealthy person in Brittany, but that didn't follow through. And I think it's because they found this other woman, even though she was his fourth cousin, who could bring all of sort of land right around his property to him. Hmm. And so they kidnapped her after her father died and had a, a priest marry the two of them. Huh. And, of course, they, this is illegal because they were fourth cousins. But um, the grandfather got around this by giving a very nice contribution to Rome. <laughs> and suddenly these two were married again in pomp and circumstance. Huh. And so by 18, Jules Bluebeard owned most of Western France. 
so did this woman, not that she had much of a choice, I guess, but did she know about what he was already doing with the servants and the cavaliers? I mean, did she I know how... I think that came out went? very soon, very soon, because he never gave her any attention. He couldn't stand her, just couldn't stand her. And um, after, and we can get into that later about the military, after he came back from the military, he, he forced her, and they did have a child forced them to just flee and go live in one of her castles of her family's. So he didn't have anything to do with the child? No, no. And that's, we'll get into that too. No, he hated the child. He hated her. And the child in the end was the one who really, she had a a monument made in his honor Hmm. because she she cared. It's very, it's really quite a sad, it's very sad. Hmm. Very sad. Okay, so I'll just leave it to you to take us chronologically. So, well, let's go from um, his, what happened the year that he and his grandfather kidnapped his wife. Mm-hmm. The, um, the head of Brittany was also kidnapped, and he defended this, for he went to battle for this person. It was his first time in battle, and he proved to be an extraordinary soldier. He, he could come up with... Um, Things that people, no one else came up with, and in the long run, this the Baron was um, released, and he rewarded Gilles Duray, Bluebeard for his service, and it got Bluebeard really interested in serving, mm. and um, this was sort of the precursor to his battles, you know, with during the Hundred Years' War, because this was just a, a a feud which was going on between two different uh, factions in France. And, and he was on the same side as Joan of Arc. Well, then, yes. So we can go on from there. It, you know, France was really being decimated during the Hundred Years' War by the English. And you talk about brutality. Um, there's, and I, I don't want to read it on the air, it's, you talk about what is happening with ISIS. The same type of brutality was going on with how the English were conquering France. Mm-hmm. And because of this, there was such resistance to them. You know, they, they were, everybody tried to fight them. Everybody tried to fight them. And they'd retaliate in the most brutal of um, circumstances. And Gilles um was at court, and he was finally got himself to be Joan of Arc's protector on the battlefield and was given significant um, commands. And he just, he, he rose. I mean, he rose through the ranks. He loved this. His obviously, you know, his latent whatever problems he had with psychopathy, with blood, with everything, he was able to use all of this to his advantage because he turned it into his situation with the war uh-huh. and with defending France and with defending um, Joan of Arc. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so he, was able he, to, he, he didn't have any hesitation. Out, yes, of, for his bravery mm-hmm. and protecting her. And she called him her valorous and courageous Gilles. So and, there must have been something about him, you know, that was certainly worthy. Yes. And he defended her in many times, saved her at the, one of the big battles at the Tourelle. That's where she won the Siege of Orleans. And then he did the same um, not only at the Tyrell, but before that there as well. And so he, he, he continued to gather medal after medal after medal, and then um, he decided to retire from war. What made him do that? 
why he retired was um, he was with Joan. You know, they, the king had granted him being Marshal of France and asked him if he'd like to come back to one of his castles with him. And he said no, he wanted to go on to fight in Paris with, with Joan of Arc. So he did, and of course, the Paris had been sold out to the, called the Burgundians, um, and the king was either too stupid or too weak to understand that they were, you know, he was being undermined. Mm-hmm. And Joan of Arc tried to protect him by going on and fighting, even though she was told not to. And she was injured uh, in the battle, and she had Gilles stay with her all night, you know, because thought, she thought she was dying. Mm-hmm. She didn't. She recovered. But he was called back by the king, and uh, the king would not let him go battle with Joan of Arc. As subsequently, I'm jumping ahead, but it isn't that far, about a half a year later, once the battles began again, you know, they stopped during the winter, uh, he again could not be with Joan because the king insisted that he be with him. She was captured by the English, and after six months, a six-month horrible trial, which I'm sure everyone knows about, Mm -hmm. she was burned as a witch at the stake. And I think this absolutely turned him, because he saw her as the savior of France, his own savior. He saw when she made prophecies which came true. I mean, there was almost a mystical feeling for him, for her. Uh huh. And this was all shattered suddenly. So, you know, I mean, he continued in what he knew best, which was to fight, but his heart wasn't in it. And in two years, the king had to ask him to go to a battle um, to defend France. Uh huh. He, he, he just, he didn't want to, and that was the turning point. Instead, he sent his um, younger brother in his place. <laughs> <laughs> and he went to Orléans and amassed all sorts of debts by giving the biggest productions of the Siege of Orléans ever. Well, yes, think, yes, I, I want to get into that. Now, yeah, so that was the, so the turning point was when Joan of Arc was burned at the stake because, um, I mean, you know, I wonder if, um, I mean, do, do you think he had, was it a, was it a, do you think he loved her? Do you think, what, what kind of a, um, what did she represent to him? I think, you know, this mystical, this savior of France, this person this, who could do no wrong, who was intelligent, you know, he hated women, but she wasn't a woman. You know, to him, she was just, she was a savior. She, she represented everything that was good in his life that he'd ever seen uh-huh. because she was so religious. She, you know, they were all battling the the British because it was, God was on their side, mm-hmm. you know. Um, he really believed in her and her powers. I mean, many French did, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as you know. And I think he was totally, when you believe that much in anything, and suddenly you can't have it anymore, aren't you just shattered? Can't you sometimes be shattered? And I think that's what happened. I think whether it was PTSD, whether he had some other emotional problem. Well, you know, you're going to go on now and talk about the spectacle. And when I I was reading about that, I was thinking to myself, um, it almost seems like a manic episode. Yes, I agree. Um, so, so, uh, So tell us about it. I mean, it's an extraordinary event. So 
tell us about what happened after he retired. Well, when he, so he decided, one of the things he decided to do was um, put everything into wholeheartedly, he did everything wholeheartedly, you know, almost too much, everything was too much, uh, into these wonderful theatrical productions. He had something that I think Broadway could not even Mm -hmm. equal today Mm -hmm. with the, you know, the many, there were no curtains, but he had many different planes of actors and horses and uh, scenery that changed constantly. And he had trumpets and clarions, and, you know, giving different calls when the angels were going to come down and be on her side. And these, these um, shows went on for 13 months nonstop. Huh. He paid for people to come to see the performances if they couldn't get off from work. There was food and drink for everyone in Orion for 13 months. And he went bankrupt over this. Yes, I mean, that doesn't, that does have, I mean, yes, of course, he certainly could have PTSD, but it also has a, um, I mean, people with PTSD can also be manic depressive yes. underneath. Yes. And it, there really yes. seems like a manic quality to all of this. I agree. Um, well, we, we um, need to take another break. <laughs> Uh, it's going very quickly because this is such a fascinating story, and we're we're still still a lot to go. The gory part is still to go, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, my guest is Valerie Ogden. Her book is called Bluebeard: Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Stay tuned. Uh-huh. I'm your psychiatrist host, and we'll continue with the story when we get back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Hi, I'm Sam Nussbaum, WellPoint's Chief Medical Officer. We proudly support the March of Dimes mission to improve the health of babies and fight premature birth. We're helping the March of Dimes fund breakthroughs in research and community programs that help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together to provide children with a healthier start in life. Visit marchofdimes.org. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about ISIS copying the barbarism of medieval killer Bluebeard, um, whose real name was Gilles de Ray. And my guest is Valerie Ogden. Her book is called Bluebeard, Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath. New book just come out from uh, the History Publishing Company. And um, but let me also mention that Valerie is, is an actor. She is also the former editor at House and Garden, and she's the president of the board of directors of the Pennsylvania Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. So you have a, <laughs> a renaissance career yourself. So before, when we took a break before, we left off with Bluebeard um, state, being in perhaps a manic state, staging these, these unbelievable um, you know, 500 extra, uh, I mean, according to some reports, 140 speaking parts, 500 extras. Um, as Valerie was saying, you know, went on for 13 months. He paid, <laughs> he paid people to come, gave them food and drink, and, and um, you know, had um, just, uh, I mean, obviously he, he wanted a lot of attention. <laughs> that was another part of it. Like you were yeah. saying about his grandfather, what he did as a child. He was still needed a lot of attention with his parents dead by the time he was 11. So, and I think to regain also his, you know, he was considered one of the heroes of France. And so I think he was yeah. by this show, one, he was trying to give eulogies to Joan of Arc, but I think he was trying to regain his honor, you know, yeah. his, his grandiose style and staging and was because he wanted to be renowned again. Yes, yes, that makes sense. So, okay, but unfortunately, in his, um, you know, obsession with this, um, he, he became bankrupt, as you started to say. So take it from there. What he did, yes. Remember that this man had all sorts of land, you know, and, but if you are going to spend that kind of money, you know, it's finally a point where, where the, <laughs> the piper comes home to collect, and um, he was selling everything. He even had to sell, he had a horse, and he was named, and I'll go into this a second. He had to sell his beloved horse to pay off his debt. Wow. And it, it, he still had to, you know, have show. He had to still be grandiose, was his way. So how he thought he would get his, all his wealth back was, to worship the devil, but this was only going to be temporary because he really was a very religious person. But he felt in temporarily asking the devil for help, that would be fine. So he brought in all these people to help him, you know, talk, commune with the devil, and they were, of course, all charlatans. And the worst one that he brought in was someone who had studied the occult in Italy, and he just bamboozled uh, Bluebeard, you know, and um, uh, Bluebeard fell madly in love with him. And the man was smart enough to know exactly what he was doing, so he'd hold these seances. But the devil seemed to never show up when um, he was needed, nor did he give, uh, you know, the gold that was necessary. And so I think this man's name was Perlati. And I think that he was afraid that he'd probably be kicked out of the castle. So what he persuaded um, Bluebeard was that the devil really needed a sacrifice. He needed to sacrifice a child. So in his absolutely crazy state, um, that's what happened. 
and this is not his first child that he sacrificed, but this is the only child that he sacrificed to black magic. And, of mm. course, nothing happened. The, the devil still did not give him gold, and the, the body was buried in sacred land, and, and I think he felt badly, you know, afterwards. He always felt badly after all his killings. He was not, he knew right from wrong, as I think most serial killers do. So that was his, that's his story with the occult. They brought in, you know, these, these um, charlatans to do signs on the wall and traipsings and myrrh and frankincense and everything. And then the devil was meant to appear and he never did. Hmm. In the meantime that he, after he left the military, as soon as almost he got back to his first castle, it's called Champtocet. He started to kill children, and what had happened was he had two people who had served. One had served with him at one of the big battles in France where they had been successful, and the other was someone who had been in his family ever since he was a teenager. He was an impoverished Norman cousin who was stealing from him almost from the beginning because he'd lost all his money. The English took away their castles. So he was stealing from Gilles and then everyone else began to steal from Gilles hmm. And these two, the Norman cousin and the one who had fought in the battle with him, became his lovers as well, very close companions. They, were ne- they tried never to let him out of their sight. And they devised, a, they concocted how to kill children. It was meant to be just a little game. Mm. And these two men could stop. They could see, you know, they, they knew when to stop, and they could pull themselves back. Jules became hooked on this, and it became an obsession with him. He had to find children to kill constantly. And he did that for eight years until he was apprehended, not only in that castle, he did that at Orleans during the whole production of the the Siege of Orleans. He did it in other castles. He even did it when he was staying in Vannes. He was staying at a um, a monk's retreat, and he did it there too. And it wasn't just you know murdering someone. It was it was bizarre, real torturous rituals that he took great pleasure out of. I mean, it's almost, it's very hard. Whenever I had to go over that particular chapter, I'd have to steal myself to go back mm-hmm. and, to, you know, read what I had written. And where I got all this information is from this trial. He confessed and, and admitted to all these crimes and tortures. And these two men um, confessed this as well, right? No, no, one, they, uh, one um, jump ship ran, never to be seen again. Mm. And the other one did so, too, came back and worked for Jules son-in-law and persuaded him that he was just an innocent squire who had to do the the bidding of this Mm -hmm. deranged tyrant. And he was granted a pardon by the king. But there were two men who were kill, who were hanged at the same time. Yeah, those were his. The very, they were almost numbskulls. I mean, they uh-huh. honestly had very little brains. They were his servants. Uh huh. Uh huh. And they were devoted to him. They were devoted to him. Uh, yes, and they 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 confessed. You know, they were brought in front of. I mean, you you know, who is not going to confess almost 
when you see the tools of the Inquisition, that's another topic we could always go on with. Well, you know, because the tools are so similar. Oh, go ahead. No, the tools, I mean, you know, one is waterboarding. That uh-huh. is one of their big, big tools. And the others are, are pretty brutal, too, that they did. And, and so, uh, tell, I know this is, <laughs> I know you said this chapter was hard, but tell us a little more about the killings of the children. Well, they, they were all brought to his castle, and they were kept, you know, in the dungeon until he wanted to really deflower them. And then they were brought to the room, and they played a little game. You know, they, they would go through, they'd ask the boy about himself and so forth and so on. Then suddenly he was grabbed by the neck and put on a hook and hung there so that his vocal cords were, you know, really strained so he couldn't cry out. And then Jules himself would take the child off the hook, and he'd hold him in his arms and say, oh, it's really, it's just a little game. We're being silly. You know, and when the child thought that everything was fine, then they'd go in for the kill. And then they would, you know, they had all sorts of swords. They'd either hack the child, or they'd stab him, or they'd gouge out his eyes, and, and on and on. And sodomize them. Yes. yes. And behead them. Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. But it was mainly they were dead before a lot of times that they, you know, uh, beheaded them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was every conceivable torture that man can think of. And and uh, Bluebeard would um, typically masturbate while um, yes. while this was going on. Yes. Yes. And then afterwards. He would get himself in this beautiful um, gown, and he'd have his servants have the heads all cut off and the pretty ones put on his mantle, Mm -hmm. and he'd make his servants decide which was the prettiest, and he would kiss these heads and tell them to go, go to God, pray for me. Hmm. So he reached reached the absolute abyss. I mean, the absolute abyss. Yes, yes. And you almost... You know, instead of regurgitating, you almost have to say, how does this happen? That's what I kept on asking myself. How does this happen? Yes, and how did these people stand by and yes. watch and, it and or know participate? About yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, and it happens from, from, I guess, from a combination of his, you know... Um, whatever mental illness he might have, predisposition he might well have been born with, such as manic depressive illness. Um, right. What you're saying, the brutality of war that he was in, which could have um, added PTSD to it. Right. Um, the fact that he did see his starting out with his father being bored, um, gored to death by a boar, and his right. mother abandoning him. I mean, all of these, they were... Um, you know, it's a lot of uh, a lot of traumatic um, reasons or things that went into him as a young child. That mm-hmm. um, that is what uh, manifested, and of course the war, and what manifested um, later on in, in these in this incredible brutality. Yes. So yes. I mean, I mean, you know, you can try to explain it, but at the same time, it's almost inexplicable because it's still so. Um, it's so depraved. It's yeah. how could a human being do that? Right. 
Right. Which is a good segue because in the next segment <laughs> we're going to talk yes. about how you compare all this to ISIS. Well, I th- exactly. I mean, I think there you have it with the, with the brutality. The, the, there's similar mentalities in the sense that what, you know, Bluebeard killed because probably of a mental illness. Um, these people, I think, their psychopolitical connection to slaughter is simple. They just, they gleefully, you know, they eradicate anyone who doesn't agree with their primitive ideology. Well, they, yes, yes. Well, okay, yeah, they, they we, don't we, we need to, to take a break. We'll get into that more okay. in, the next, in the next segment. My guest is Valerie Ogden. Again, her book is called Bluebeard, Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about ISIS, copying barbarism of medieval killer Bluebeard. Well, you've been hearing all about Bluebeard from Valerie Ogden, who is the author of the new book, Bluebeard, Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath. And now we're going to talk about how um, she compares this uh, depravity to what is going on with ISIS and, of course, Al-Qaeda as well. Can't let, leave them out, <laughs> nor the lone terrorists. Um, mm. And um, <laughs> Valerie was telling me during the break that she has dedicated the book to the end of cannonballs, um, basically the end of war. So uh, tell us your point of view I, I just think, you know, yeah, the brutality of war sometimes does turn soldiers into monsters, and it certainly did Bluebeard, and I think certainly ISIS is not far behind, if not, on, you know, really comparable. Uh, their, their connection to slaughter is simpler. I mean, they, I don't think all of them are suffering from some terrible mental disease. I think that they, they just eradicate anyone who doesn't agree with their primitive ideology and they kill children and adults for that reason um and they have what they have done is they focused on non-muslim minorities shias the sunni tribes brave enough to resist them um anyone and westerners 
uh, it's very, very... Well, and today, there's uh, the news today, yes. um, they have two Japanese hostages. Yes. yes. They're an and, equal and opportunity um, <laughs> They certainly killer. are. I mean, I mean, they're pitiless. They're pitiless with what they've done. And um, they also, I think, have used these beheadings, um, you know, that have stunned the world very well with social media so that they have been able to recruit all these, and I can't call them freaks. You've got to say that many of these are are people that must be just either misguided or or I'm missing something, you know, that will Well, they're disenfranchised. They're people who, I mean, there are a lot of different reasons why um, people are ready to um, believe them on the Internet and and be seduced to um, come to the Middle East to train and then go back to their countries. And, of course, there has to start to be, (laughs) sooner rather than later, um, some kind of policy against people returning once there is evidence that they have gone to these countries where they have been trained. I mean, we can't, regardless of what kind of, what citizen they are, you know, whether they're an American citizen or a French citizen or whatever country, if they have gone and have been trained, um, that already, uh, you know, defines them as a traitor, planning to, assuming, you have to assume that they're going to plan to use their training, and they shouldn't be allowed back in the country. I think that would put a stop to it. Um, you know, fairly, not immediately, but certainly mm-hmm. start to halt. I mean, get people to think twice about whether mm-hmm. they ever want to come back. Right. And, and what and would be the point of going, actually, if they couldn't come back? Well, I mean, I guess they could go into another country and, and right. uh, commit acts of terrorism, but, but a lot of people would want to come back to the country that, um, that they came from, even if they are planning on, you know, Killing committing everybody. an act of yeah. terrorism in it. Right. Well, I mean, the interesting thing there is there was that story of the young boy who left his Shiite family, you know, and was, I mean, he was enthralled by ISIS, and they took him in, and they told him how wonderful they were, and so forth and so on, and then they made him watch beheadings, which began to turn him off, and then he said what was going on, they refused to let anyone smoke and drink um, and then they were all smoking and drinking behind the tents, and they were having mm-hmm. sex with each other. It's a 13-year-old boy. And then they said, all right, you can either be a fighter or you can be a suicide person. Which do you want to be? And he said suicide. And he volunteered for that. And what he did was they, they, they got him all set up, and he went, was sent into Baghdad to blow up one of the big mosques. And he walked up to the mosque and showed them the bombs and he said, please save me. I don't want to be with ISIS. Uh-huh. So there's, that's a different, you know, type that, I mean, what, what do you do with, with people that finally realize that there's something very wrong? Yes. <clears throat> yeah. But I think that's an aberration. That's not the usual ones unless they've been forced into fighting and killing. Well, but, but the, um, you know, like the two brothers in France, um, they actually... Uh, were were orphans. I mean, they had lost their parents. They were, um, you know, they were they were having a hard life as many immigrants in Europe um, do. And um, you know, that's the point. These people get to some point where they feel there's nothing left to live for. They feel desperate, or they feel like they were they're angry that they were deprived, like in America, deprived of the American dream. They'll never get the American dream. People, the man, for example, I did a show on 
um, the man in Oklahoma who beheaded his coworker, and he learned about um, uh, extreme Islam um, in in uh, prison in jail, where a lot of people mm-hmm. do, and. Um, and he had, you know, he had sort of nothing. He had had a hard, different problems in his life, hard life, and there was no hope in in, in him to um, that he would be able ever be able to get the American dream. I mean, that's that's the thing. There's a lot of anger towards the society, not just. I mean, yes, we hear about how there's anger at America, you know, or even France for participating, killing uh, Muslims in the Middle East, but there's also anger. Um, about what they feel they've been deprived of not getting um, in in their country, you know, in America, right. in France, what they're not able to get. They see people who are wealthier than they are, who seem happier than they are, and they're angry about that. So it's not really, I mean, it makes it seem um, much more important or bolder or, you know, to say, oh, well, I'm, I'm doing this uh, because of the wrongs of, of America or European countries and what they're mm-hmm. doing in the Middle East. But really, <laughs> you know, it's that's the what they're the saying, but that's not yeah. really the underlying yeah. psychological reason. I mean, you know, some of them are more... Um, uh, some of them are more religious and more believe, you know, s- some of those things than others. But but deep down, psychologically, um, there are there are these other kinds of reasons that don't sound very bold or very important. But are so important. I mean, I think one of the things, you know, that my French friends say, for example, is, you know, they live, most of them live in housing projects, and the police come in on their motorcycles with their guns raised and just, you know, with a sneer on their face as to say, don't you dare, mm. you know, tamper with us. Well, what does that do? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's sort of like what we've done here, too. What, what does it do except... A, now, what is wrong with us? What have we learned since the Middle Ages? Not much if we can't <laughs> understand that, you know, there is some compassion and humility and, and you know, there are people that really are, they're lovely. I mean, you well, know, they just need to be helped. Yes, that's true. But, I mean, certainly you, you know that there, this is, it's not, it's not just about compassion. It's about, oh, no. um, you know, there is this plan. I mean, there is an yeah. infiltration. You know, yes, they will get more social services in, in Europe, European yeah. countries, than they get in the Middle East, but it's also a, a planned infiltration, you know. I mean, this yeah. is all, that's why they come there, besides getting more social services or, yeah. you know, try, hoping for, for a better life. It's, it's yeah. also, um, you know, it's, it's what they've been taught. Yeah. Oh, my. Okay, but before we go, we need to tell people where to get your book. Oh, you can get it many places, many bookstores, um, Amazon, History Publishing, uh, Barnes & Noble. So. Okay, and again, the title of the book is Bluebeard, Brave Warrior, Brutal Psychopath. Well, Valerie, it is a very timely book. <laughs> yes, he was a 15th century man, but um, fascinating character. But also, this you know, we, the, what you, the question you just asked is the question what have we learned since the medieval times? You know, yeah. it doesn't seem like much, and that's no. very sad. Yeah. So, but it's not note, too late. It's, <laughs> it's not too late. We, we certainly need to. <laughs> We certainly need to start learning this. Um, and, and we can, you know. And, and we can, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I wish you all the best with the book. Um, this thank is a fascinating you. story. And it thank you all for honor. listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 